box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson for our podcast where we go through our highlights of the past week, our teams, moments of the week. We watch a lot of football, so, you know, it's a lot to work through and plenty, plenty more. So, uh, Edge and Derek, I think uh, Derek uh, was um, first cab off the rank last week. So, um, mate, if you hadn't have picked this game of the week, I came in earlier and put my recommendations forward. I was going to flip it around because... For me, ultimately, there's only one game of the week and you've got it. Oh, absolutely. What an epic Premier League fixture. Chelsea and Manchester City at Stanford Bridge. Everybody was waiting for this game because it was obviously the late Sunday game in the context of, of the top of the table. It turned out to be very important. But who would have thought that it would be a 4-4 draw, a late penalty from Cole Palmer, a former City Academy graduate. Uh, earned Chelsea the, the 4-4 draw in what was just a thrilling match at Stanford Bridge early in Haaland, put the visitors ahead after winning a penalty before 39-year-old uh, Thiago Silva, 39 years of age, equalised with a header from a corner less than less than five minutes later. Um, then obviously a former a former City player, uh, Raheem Sterling, then tapped in against, against his former club only for Manuel Agana to level all things at 2-2 at halftime. It was only halftime and it was 2-2. Uh, Chelsea and City continued to push for the win. Uh, it was just end-to-end stuff right from the beginning of the second half. Um, and Nicholas Jackson scored with a close-range finish. Uh, Rodri scored via a deflection, ironically, from Thiago Silva in the 86th minute. And then Palmer showed nerves of steel um, against his old club to secure the point for Maurizio Pochettino's men and they are getting better slowly but surely week on week they seem to be putting together some good form and obviously that draw just means there is a real crush at the top of the Premier League table with all of the big names including your Liverpool Rob and our Arsenal uh, along with Ange Postecoglou's Tottenham who've lost a couple Um, this uh, this game um, yeah it was just epic and and a great Premier League contest in typical uh, late Sunday London weather, sleet and rain, and mm. um, it, it had it all, didn't it, Derek? Yeah, I think you'd call this a classic uh, Premier League encounter and narratives all over the pitch, whether it was Sterling's goal, as you said, against his former club and, and a very goal he used to score for Manchester City um, quite a lot. Um, and obviously, as you said, Cole Palmer at the end, He's now scored three penalties for Chelsea and he scored them against Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester City. So he's clearly a, a big game player and they've all been very, very high score penalties as well. So fair play to him. And as you said, Chelsea, they can start doing it against the also runs now. They could actually put a season together. They've had some good results against the top teams, um, but not so much against some of the lesser teams in the league. But uh, for Manchester City... Um, uh, you know, a chance to regroup with the international break as they play Liverpool when uh, everyone comes back and what a game that's going to be. And Rob, you know, Chelsea, we've known they've had the squad, haven't we? We, we, mm. we know that we've sort of been waiting for them to make their move, but it, it appears they're, they're, they're getting their mojo back. Uh, Chelsea's going to be dangerous for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, look, uh, uh, there's something likable about Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, I, I don't know that there's uh, there's many haters for him out there. So to see him um, struggling at Chelsea, um, regardless of whether you, you love or hate Chelsea, uh, um, I felt that it's not a good thing for football because we wanted him back in the game. He's he's an entertaining character. He gives a lot both on the pitch and off it. So when he goes toe-to-toe with with Pep Guardiola and you get an outcome like this, uh, it's peak football, isn't it? And uh, and when you see – I was listening to the BBC uh, uh, Football Daily podcast before we came on air and uh, Nader Manua was uh, was talking about how uh, how Cole Palmer um, was one of the players that Pep Guardiola – wouldn't have been happy that he let go. Of course, uh, Raheem Sterling had passed his use by a day at the club, but when he saw Palmer step up and and, and take that penalty to to uh, to score the equaliser deep into stoppage time, uh, uh, that uh, that took the the uh, the ultimate uh, two points off off City for a win, um, it 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 would have grinded. Pep Guardiola's gears, and and I think that's a good thing for football. You know, I'm I'm not a a big fan of City anyway. I don't like any team in any competition that just keeps on winning and winning and winning. So I love it when they lose, especially to an underdog. So, um, yeah, I thought it was just fantastic and a great go to, well, for us anyway, wake up um, Monday morning. So, Derek, um, you picked uh, an interesting game of the week. I had to go and do a little bit of homework uh, uh, on this one because I hadn't caught up with the highlights, but I could see why after I looked at them. Yeah, I just wanted to call out uh, other games in the Premier League that, uh, I think we're worth looking at. Everton Palace was a great game, particularly if you're a, an Everton fan. It was a late goal from Adrissa Gay, who uh, steered Everton to this 3-2 win. They took the lead early in the game again. They've done that a few times now. Uh, Mikalenko, who's also scored a couple of uh, early goals, proving his value. Um, Palace came level. Eze is just a tremendous player. They've done well, sir to keep him on a new deal, but really are they doing it just to get the, the value of the transfer fee up? Because I, I don't see how he stays at Palace with all due respect to them. He's a terrific player, but yeah, he, he scored. Um, uh, but Everton retook the league. Uh, Mikhailenko hit a volley at the post and Abdullah Dekore scored. Um, Edouard got one back for Palace after a bit of a mix-up between Pickford and Tarkowski before Gay came in and took the three points. And that, result means that Everton are unbeaten in all in four games in all competitions and they're now probably more importantly for them eight clear of the relegation zone and I think it's probably worth shining a light light on Dyche because mm. we've we've criticized him a few times didn't really get Everton up just keep them up as much as all the other teams kind of fell down and Everton just happened to be there at the end of last season we they had a, a wretched start to this season uh, they've obviously got this 12-point deduction hanging over them as well. Good job they're picking up plenty of points now because they might need it um, after after this. If they, if that happened now, they'd be on two points right down the bottom of the league. But um, as I said before, they've, they start games really well. They're scoring a lot of goals away from home now. They've taken 10 from 15 points available in the league. Calvert-Lewin's obviously been a bit of a revelation coming back, but I like the looks of Decore, Mikalenko as well. They're, they're good players. And I think probably, we'll say it with a base of breath, Everton have turned a corner here. Um, they can probably start looking into mid-table as opposed to down and give Dyche and Everton some credit for sticking with him. Uh, he seems to be turning it around. 
Yeah, yeah, and and again, I'm talking of, of proper football people, Sean Dyche is uh, is definitely one of them. So they're moving into that new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock uh, next year. So they, uh, yeah, they want to uh, make sure that uh, even if they do get that twelve point deduction, which you know the, these things are always hanging over the the relevant club like the sword of Damocles, unless of course you're in City R and Juventus, where you know you genuinely do get the points dock, but you stay uh, top uh, or at least uh, in the top flight. So um, yeah, that uh, that's a good outcome and a good uh, series of results for Everton. Now, as I said last week, I was going to the victory Wellington match. Now, on the strength of it, this one all stalemate is is not the kind of game that you'd pick as as the game of the week. But when you physically in the stadium and you see and you hear the frustration and the excitement of the players and crowds, it just resonates that little bit more. So that, that's why I wanted to, to reflect on it. So not necessarily the greatest game of the week, but just the fact that I was there and, and got to, to experience the whole thing. So, you know, you'd expect that given the lead up, both teams undefeated, all the focus was on Bruno Fornaroli and Oscar Zawada. But in the end, none of the postmortem was about that. It was yet again, another night of controversy. Now, the context here, victory, they had 18 shots, seven on target. The Phoenix had none. An own goal was their only goal, as we know. But it was ultimately the visitors who were ripped off because it was that bizarre VAR call that if you didn't see it live, you might have seen it on social media, that there were just no circumstances where there was a clear and obvious error from Sean Evans, the referee. And it ultimately, it decided the match. It, it, it was crazy stuff. So, you know, they have no shots on goal. They should have won the match. Now, props to Ollie Roo, uh, midfielder, Ryan Teague. It was his first ever A-Leagues goal. And uh, and that was uh, that was exciting to see him. And even though the own goal was credited to Damien De Silva, it was really the Zawada pressure that, uh, that created the goal. So... You know, even though the, the the hosts did have a penalty, it was correctly rescinded by Evans, as opposed to the the, the Phoenix one. It, it just didn't take away from the fact that despite the weight of possession and the scoring shots alone in this bizarre game of football, 18 scoring shots to none, Wellington should have ultimately won. And Edge, we were talking about it on the way as I walked to the ground and you said, I bet you're going for the Phoenix. You want to see the upset. And I said, well, you know me well enough. You're right. So, you know, I wasn't you know, necessarily death-riding victory, but I wanted to see an exciting game and an upset. And it was, but for the wrong reasons, mate. And, um, you know, that, that's why I picked it as the game of the week. Not the best game of football you'll ever see, but uh, but just uh, a bizarre confluence of events that ended up in a, uh, a weird one-all draw. Well, the last two home games for Melbourne victory have been very controversial, haven't they? And mm. um, we were all wondering whether Melbourne victory were back, but they've uh, only had two draws uh, against Adelaide and Wellington, those last two home games, um, I just wonder whether they think that their points dropped. Uh, I know they're in and about the top of the table, but um, yeah, it's just interesting. The A-League is well and truly um, alive and kicking and there's lots of narratives and stories and I hope you had a great time at mm. Amy Park, Rob. I did with uh, my good mate uh, Johnny Ocardo from Hoyt's Food. Watched his uh, sign proudly there in the corner. They've been a foundation sponsor of Victory since day one. So uh, great to, to be there with my good mate and um, and and you know just experience it. So, but ultimately, if you step back, it was good to see the crowds coming back. Around fifteen thousand people. There was a good representation of Phoenix fans there as well. And uh, um, I think um, there's a lot to like about Wellington. They're going to they're going to go pretty good this season. All right, Edge, uh, who did you pick as your team of the Week. I'll pick the Socceroos because we're on the brink of the qualification uh, process for the 2026 FIFA World Cup USA-Mexico-Canada. That's a mouthful. Um, 
and the, and the Socceroos, uh, a, a big change in qualification. Um, instead of 4.5 spots for Asia um, with the expanded World Cup to 48 teams, it's now 8.5 spots. So I thought it was worth just reflecting on what it means for the Socceroos. Obviously, you will remember, Rob, and mm. most of our listeners will remember. Um, I certainly do. Obviously, in 2017 and 2022, the Socceroos had to qualify through the intercontinental playoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, who can forget uh, Mila Jedinik's uh, hat-trick um, to get us uh, home against Honduras in 2017? And and who can forget the epic match against Peru and the heroics of uh, Andrew Redmayne and the wiggle, the grey wiggle getting <laughs> us home? So uh, let's hope they're the last of the sort of heart uh, heartache and heart-stopping moments for the Socceroos because Obviously, we've got our initial opening group against Bangladesh, Lebanon and Palestine. Um, You would expect we'll sneak through without any problems there. Then we'll go into a group of six. There'll be three groups of six and the top two teams from each of those groups will automatically qualify. And if we just happen to, through a quirk of the draw, get in a tough group and finish third or fourth in our group, we'll then go into a mini tournament on uh, neutral territory where the winners of two groups will go through and the losers will play off for that intercontinental playoff spot. So it could be a very long journey for the Socceroos. Let's hope it's not. Um, but who would have thought in the world that we currently live in, mm. Australia, we get Palestine and Lebanon. Can you believe that, um, considering the politics of the moment? And we'll be playing Palestine, um, obviously not in Palestine. We're going to be playing them in Kuwait. Um, as a result of the things that have been happening. And there's no decision on Lebanon's home game. They have been playing some matches at home. Um, you'd imagine there'd be some security considerations around that. But uh, yes, Asian Football Confederation World Cup qualification kicks off and let's hope it's a big win for the Socceroos against Bangladesh this week. Well, it's the second time an Australian team will have played Bangladesh this week after the Cricket World Cup. And, and But it, just in the in the geopolitical context that you talk about, Edge, I mean, we saw uh, when Australia played Syria um, problems in that country at the time, they lifted. We've seen Ukraine and how they've lifted and uh, and they the, the teams, both women and men, take on the responsibility of not only putting on a good performance in their national colours, but lifting their, their country people uh, up in times of crisis. So uh, uh, we don't begrudge any of them uh, for their, their aspirations to, to deliver on that. It just makes it that little bit harder for their opponent when they play them. Absolutely. And nobody knows Asian football like I do. I live in the Asian region, follow it closely, and we know they love to play against Australia. And even, you know, as expected, we get through this group, we will um, no doubt come up against um, countries like um, Malaysia, Indonesia, um, Thailand, those sorts of countries. So we're likely to play in the second group and they will all grow a leg against Australia. Mm. But don't forget Bangladesh, an interesting part of the mm. world for football. Uh, the Indian Premier League is is uh, uh, developing and emerging. Um, it's professionalised the sport there. And and Bangladesh has f- have four players that ply their trade in the England, Indian Premier League. And, you know, I'm expecting them to be not half bad. You know, I expect... Australia ranked twenty seventh in the world. We should well and truly comfortable deal with them, comfortably deal with Bangladesh. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they put together some good football. 
No, no, we've seen plenty of it in, in both the men's and the women's game. They turn up on their day, they're, they're going to be competing. And, and uh, there's one or two Bangladeshis in Melbourne, that's for sure. So I'm expecting, I'm going to that game on Thursday night. There'll, there'll be a massive crowd. And we remember what happened when Australia played Thailand at Amy Park uh, um, a few years back, and it felt like a Thai home game. So I'm expecting a lot of noise from the Bangladeshis. Uh, Derek, your team of the week. Yeah, I want to drop down to the championship for this one. And Ipswich Town, who we've mentioned in dispatches this season, but they are in some excellent and rare form at the moment. The beat Swansea 3-2 in what a game that could have been another game of the week, a thriller there. And we spoke to great Cam Burgess from Ipswich Town, of course, earlier in the week in the main show. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. So everything going right for, for Ipswich Town at the moment. And they are now level on points of Leicester City, who stumbled a bit at the weekend um uh, Ipswich now on the same number of points but just goal difference um keeping them out um they've now got a, an eight point cushion over Leeds in third place uh Swansea slipped to 17th incidentally but all um you know we spoke about the manager um in recent shows Kieran McKenna what what a job he's done they got promoted from league 1 last season he didn't have much of a playing career, but he started at Spurs and then Manchester United later on, where he was the under-18s manager and very highly regarded there. But he took over in December 2021. Um, and no no club in England in the top four tiers have won more points than Ipswich since he, since he took over um, from there. Uh, only Pep Guardiola has won more games um, in the top four leagues since his first game as well. So it really is rarefied air that he's operating uh, in. And uh, only uh, Man City have been more productive in front of goal than Ipswich, who are second in terms of number of goals. Um, uh, and just the 14th team to score 100 goals in a season in the top four tiers since 1967-68 season. So the stats are good, but the position in the table is good. Uh, and look, long way to go, but I think Ipswich should be planning for Premier League football. And what a story that would be. Yeah, and, and we're, we're, we're seeing more and more of these stories, aren't we, now with Luton and Brentford before them, that these clubs that are not your typical sort of yo-yo clubs like, say, a, a Watford or a West Brom uh, that, uh, you know, we see bob up and down the league. We're seeing these clubs rising through the ranks and, and showing that it's possible. I mean, who knows? Maybe one day Wrexham might eventually make it. What a story, you know, that'll be if they do. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great story, that Ipswich one. So what's another great story is um, talk about a dead cat bounce. Um, Talley had two training sessions with Sydney FC. Uh, and I was reading an article by James Dodd on Keep Up. He, he said it clearly... He worked some pretty early miracles in that uh, two training sessions that he had. So for context, as we all know, they win the Australia Cup under Steve Corica, lose the three opening matches of the league, then sack the club legend. Talley uh, is appointed two training sessions. He gives Jaden Kaczarski his first start of the season, recalls the Brazilian Fabio, and they play like they've been together all their lives. Now, Joe Lolly, who we've had on the show before, he's not the most enthusiastic of media performers, but you put him on the pitch with the right set of circumstances around him. He's been you know, uh, uh, cutting a, a pretty um, uh, frustrated jib in the first few rounds of the competition. But he was like 
the player that helped Nottingham Forest get promoted back in the, uh, his his last days in uh, in the championship. And uh, as as I continue to sort of quote uh, James Dodd from Keep Up, he said it was a five star showing from Sydney's chief creator. The Englishman cut a frustrated figure in the first three games of the season, but everything he touched at Cooper Stadium turned to gold or more appropriately, goal. So hats off to Joe Lolly. Probably his best game for Sydney FC, and they were just hammering them 4-0 up at the break. Scored pretty much the, the moment the whistle finished uh, um, blasting to, to start the second half. And uh, poor old Carl Veed, he thought everything was going beautifully there at uh, at Hindmarsh. Um, and uh, look, they pulled one back. Uh, but uh, if, uh, if ever there was a case to justify a coach sacking, then what happened on Saturday night was. So if you're a Sky Blues fan and um, and you were hoping for uh, them to bounce back, I think there's one thing we can say for sure is they're not going to finish bottom. And uh, and if they keep those sorts of performances up, they'll be bloody competitive throughout the rest of the season. So um, Sydney FC, hats off for the decision. Good luck, Bimby. We'll uh, hopefully get you back on the show again soon, Edge, and uh, um, he'll, he'll bob up in football somewhere. But... Um, yeah, clearly you can see sometimes it's time for a coach or a manager to leave and uh, and, and a new broom to sweep through. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, who would have thought we lost two coaches in the first three weeks of the A-League? And we've just actually learned that Brisbane Raw have uh, dismissed their women's coach, uh, Gareth McPherson, uh, just in as we record this in the last few moments. So, um, And they actually started like a house on fire. So... There's got to be a story there. No, um, in the context of Bimby Rob, um, Steve Corica, he was a club legend too. That's a difficult one, but uh, he will definitely pop up in the sport. And I hope actually Bimby gets an opportunity maybe in Asia, um, follow the path uh, outlined by Ange Postacoglu um, and also Kevin Musket and Arthur Pappas. I think he would benefit from being challenged in a different uh, part of uh, the world for football and see where um, his skills can take him outside the Sydney network. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, Ed, you, you've been the one that's brought up the, um, the the kidnapping saga of Luis Diaz's father in the past um, um, uh, couple of shows. Um, so um, happy ending for that story. Yeah, I thought my hot topic was uh, Luis Manuel Diaz. Um, obviously, he's been missing uh, for 13, uh, 13 nights and it ended with a great story. Um, obviously his release. Um, I just sort of go into a bit of detail about what actually happened and the reason behind it. In fact, um, the, the global spotlight of this story actually um, uh, united Colombia. There was massive outrage as to this kidnapping story. Um, obviously, um, uh, Diaz was 5,000 miles or 9,000 kilometres away from his father when he was released and found out a couple of hours before Liverpool's Europa League game against uh, Toulouse. Um, and despite all of that, Diaz um, uh, informed Jurgen Klopp that he wanted to start and he wanted to play, and he did. Um, it was obviously amazing news. Um, I'm just reading a little bit of information from Carlos Alaman, who is a reporter and presenter for Bogota Base TV channel. He he's outlined that uh, Diaz's father was kidnapped by the ELN, um, a terror a terrorist group um, who's looking to develop uh, um, a secede a little bit of land in between Venezuela and Colombia. Um, uh, they were the group that took responsibility for uh, the kidnap kidnapping of Luis Manuel Diaz. Um, 
obviously there was a lot of negotiations taking place between that group, the Colombian government. And interestingly enough, it was a Catholic church organization that, uh, that gets quite involved in these sorts of hostage negotiations, did the hard work to secure the release of Diaz Senior. And obviously the images that we've seen, just the hugs of joy and tears of joy from the family and the community in Baraka where they're from, uh, just makes it uh, all the all the more impressive um, just what's actually happened here. Um, interestingly enough, there's a lot of questions around the, around the um, the motivation of ELN, why they would undertake this uh, kidnapping. Some people say it was to put a spotlight on their cause. Uh, however, it might have backfired them on them because the Colombian um, uh, people love their football, don't they, Rob? Mm. And Diaz is one of their main men. And uh, obviously, they were horrified at uh, this. And um, we've got a safe return as a result of all of that. So, yeah, interesting place, Colombia. And mm. um, what a... You know, the, imagine the anxiety that that family's lived through, and uh, Diaz in particular, the Liverpool players, um, played a few games in that period as well. And um, mm. I'm sure everybody at Liverpool um, will be celebrating this news. And let's hope it never happens again. Yeah, sadly, we know what will though. And uh, but but interesting because we, we haven't heard that context around the the whole thing um, in in a lot of other media. Edge, so it's a, it's a happy ending for the. Diaz family and uh, and uh, hopefully um, it does make some real and lasting change in, in that country where you get somebody of such a high profile uh, um, uh, puts um, the spotlight on a, an organisation uh, that are uh, up to uh, this sort of uh, behaviour. Now, uh, sorry, we'll Robin, what... and just the, the hero, the guy who negotiated the release. It's a fantastic name. Uh, it's it's probably worth the worthy of a movie at some point. He's named Monsignor Hector Fabio Henoir. That's a great name, Edge. And why would I not know that you had a postscript to your story? I should have known it was coming. Derek, hot topic of the week. Yeah, I've gone for another ex-England player turned manager this week, and people all start thinking I've, I've really got a something in for all these people. Last week it was Phil Neville, and, and this week it's, it's Wayne Rooney and Birmingham City is my hot topic. And I'll welcome Edge's thoughts on this as in a sec, as someone who takes, I think, a keener interest than most in the uh, the blue half of, of Birmingham. But uh, his winless start to the season has reached a new low recently. He lost uh, to Sunderland. It was the fourth loss in five games since he took charge. And what we should remember is City was sixth and going places when Rooney took over from John Eustace. And not the most gloried name in the game, a bit like Kieran McKenna, who we were talking about at, at Ipswich recently. Um, so there were six, and they'd taken 10 points from a possible 12, and they were unbeaten at the start of the season. Um, and then they, they appointed Wayne Rooney with new ownership. Uh, and as a new owner comes in, they want an exciting new managerial hire. And the Shelby Companies Limited, the American owners who have taken their name rather sort of cornerly from the, the Peaky Blinders-themed uh, name, which just cheapens it all, I think. But anyway, it all seems rather rather crass. Um, but they obviously wanted a big name and they wanted Wayne Rooney. So um, they put him in. And, you know, it, this is not the first time uh, Birmingham have just switched the manager at random. Uh, midway through the, I think, 16-17 season, Gary Rowett was doing a pretty good job there. But they got rid of him. Uh, the Trillion Trophy Asia owners at the time got rid of him and they put in 
Gianfranco Zola, you'll recall, and he lasted barely five months. Uh, they were in relegation trouble, uh, and eventually Harry Redknapp, I think, managed to save them on the last day of the season. But eight managers uh, in seven years now. And look, Wayne Rooney's got more pedigree than Phil Neville, I think. I mean, I think he did a pretty good job in trying circumstances at Derby County with their big points points reduction. He's done okay in the United States, but you've got to feel for John Eustace losing his job and then Wayne Rooney comes in and does his best to look like uh like some kind of homeless person that's just kind of walked off the park bench into the ground and um not doing a great job by the looks of it. So just be careful what you wish for, owners of um English teams or any team. And if you've got a great manager who's not necessarily a big name, it's worth sticking with them. Well, the blue half of Birmingham, the Blue Noses, as uh, we know on this show, it's actually a really big and storied club. But when I think about Wayne Rooney coaching, I think about some of the decisions that he's made in his life off the field, Derek. Um, he was randomly caught in compromising establishments uh, throughout his career. And I just think about some of these judgment calls would lead me to believe that maybe he would not make a good coach. They're the things that I remember, albeit you did recognise he had a, a purple patch at Derby, uh, Derby County of recent times. But that club, Birmingham City, deserves better. They've got a storied history. They, I'd love to see them back in the Premier League. They're a big, big club. And, and one of the great derbies of English football, and they actually can be extremely nasty off the field, is, is Birmingham City versus Aston Villa. They don't like each other at all, do they, Derek? They certainly don't. Um, Villa haven't had to worry about Birmingham uh, for some time or really anyone in the, in the Birmingham area. West Brom have not been in the Premier League for a, full, a few seasons. Wolves are there, I suppose, as a, as a rival for, for Villa there. But, yeah, it's kind of sad what's happened to, to Birmingham City. There have been some bright spots, of course. I was there at Wembley where they infamously or famously beat Arsenal in the League Cup final with Femi Martins scoring that late winner. Um, but, yeah, on the whole, though, it's, it's been poor. And I just get the impression that, I think people are starting, you know, these big owners come in and they see it's, uh, you know, Birmingham and the catchment area and all the potential and they get very excited, but they just don't make good decisions and they don't follow through um, and running the club properly. So, yeah, they're, they're starving of uh, starving of some decent decisions and some form on the pitch as well by the looks of it. Well, a club that um, for quite a while was making pretty bored decisions around managers finally got one right, but uh, um, I've got a... a put myself forward as the person who's going to bring Spurs into the conversation this week. We didn't talk about them a lot in the main show, but uh, um, whether they were team of the week or game of the week, they were getting a start. But uh, rightfully now, they're my heart's like for all the wrong reasons. And watching that game at the Molyneux, there was, there was just no chance that Wolves were going to get back into it. And the legend of Ange was destined to grow. James Medicine out injured, among others. They lead in one of football's most hostile environments after 90 minutes. You talk of that black country with, uh, with, the, with Birmingham and and Aston Villa, uh, Wolves is is right in the, the heartland of that. Now, how do you lose this? But lose, they certainly did. It, it was a brilliant finish. You haven't seen the goal by Spaniard uh, Pablo Sarabia, then get onto YouTube and have a look at it. Right foot control of the cross, left foot volley and wang. He sets up Mario for the winner uh, later on after that. And, uh, and this is 96 minutes and 26, 20 seconds um, into the game. So if you thought Ange would be gutted, he would have been, but... Um, 
it's those very uh, villains who he's going to have to face at home under one of the most canny men in the league, Unai Emery next. So uh, that will be a mouth-watering game. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap it up there. We're, um, we've gone um, a little over our usually appointed time. Michael, thank you for another good show. Thanks, Rob. I uh, hope everyone enjoys their football this coming weekend um, and the international break. There'll be some good fixtures around the world, no doubt. And to you, Derek. Thanks, gents. See you next time. And to our good friend Adam Maloney for making this whole thing come together the way it does. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.